0: forget, (laughs) come with us and move
1: Greetings listeners, I hope you've all had unpleasant dreams, you're listening to Movie Oubliette episode (laughs) 115, the continental colliding podcast with me Dan gleefully chowing down on boxes of Salmiaki in Melbourne, Australia.
0: And me Conrad recovering from a double inoculation
1: in (laughs) Cambridge, UK. In this podcast we (laughs) pour over genre films, horror, sci-fi and fantasy because we all know when you're strapped for cash you can always rely. Rely on your long lost great aunt who just happens to be a witch. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. Yes. Oh, we could do with some of that great
0: aunt cash, couldn't we, Dan? Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. So double jab to Conrad. Two for one, was it? I know. I wasn't expecting it, though. I just showed up for my COVID booster yes. like a good boy. And uh, they said, yeah, we're doing flu shots as well today. Do you want that too in the other arm? Wow. And I thought, yeah, okay. So... <laughs> Last night, I couldn't sleep on either side, because oh, no. I'm a side sleeper. Yeah, oh, me too, me too. It's not good. So I always start on one side and wake up on the other, so I don't know what happens during the night. But anyway, yeah, so I've got one arm that feels like somebody, like I've bumped into it Okay. Yeah. at some point. It's got a bruise. But the COVID arm, that feels like I've been hit by a car. It's te- I can barely wow. lift it. It's terrible. <laughs> wow, wow. So you're still... Just your culinary experiments, just are so inspiring. What what on earth is what was it salamiaki? Salamiaki. What's well,
1: it's, it's not something I, I cook. This is actually a uh, traditional Finnish uh, confectionery. It's a type of licorice. Um, because I've oh. got a friend uh, visiting at the moment with his wife, um, and he's he's come from Finland all the way from Finland, and he knows that I love this stuff. I don't know what it is. Uh, there is a chemical compound in it that doesn't sound edible, uh, ammonium chloride. <laughs> so I guess that's what I'm addicted to. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's a very acquired taste of uh, licorice. Most people that have it, uh, it's it's just disgusting and salty and uh, <laughs> very strong. Kind of uh, often likened to chewing on a, a tire. Um, it's uh, oh. it's black and it's, uh, I don't know, I don't know I love it, I love it But he's given me boxes <laughs> of this stuff So I'm just, um, yes, and like I said, gleefully <laughs> chowing down <laughs> So you're well stocked now This reminds
0: me of whenever I used to visit friends in France They would always beg me to take over a massive box of tea bags Because oh. at the time, they just couldn't get decent tea anywhere Right, yeah, some PG tips <laughs> Yes, or Yorkshire,
1: Yorkshire tea was always popular. Ooh, yeah. yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, have we been popular in the last couple of weeks? What's in the
0: mailbag today? Well, we have been. Yes, we've even gained ourselves a new patron. So, uh, welcome aboard Miki. I Hello. hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, miki also separately sent us a message on our socials to say i'm a huge fan of the pod thanks for providing top-notch content i love listening to your opinions and always funny commentary along with insights i'm simply too lazy to find myself (laughs) and providing me with a wonderful list of movies to catch up on Ah, so that's wonderful thank you great thank you And welcome aboard (laughs) Yes, great to have you aboard. Can't wait to see your comments and suggestions for future films for us to cover. Mm-hmm. You started a great thread on Twitter, which is movie titles that are highly misleading, <laughs> <laughs> which has really taken off. People have loved commenting on this. You suggested Ghost Dog Way of the Samurai, which I haven't seen, but am I right in thinking it's about sort of, you know, urban crime?
1: <laughs> no, not really. It's a, It's. A, I think it's a Jim Jarmusch movie. Uh, it's a, I guess... I don't know. It's just an, an an odd movie to really describe, but there's not a lot of martial arts in it, and there's definitely no ghosts or dogs, so <laughs> or uh, dogs. very misleading. <laughs> very misleading.
0: Uh, Phil suggested Freddie got fingered. <laughs> oh, well,
1: I don't know whether that's that misleading. That movie is. I, 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 well, I don't. I don't think he does, though. Does he? <laughs> well, no, no.
0: Um, I mean, that movie is just all sorts of wrong, though. (laughs) I've never seen it, to be honest. Good old Surge of Cold Crash Pictures said, Jurassic Park movie is filled with Cretaceous dinosaurs.
1: Yeah. I mean, (laughs) as someone that was a huge dinosaur fan as a kid, yeah, that confused me as well. Yeah.
0: There's a Jurassic Park exhibition in London at the moment that I'm really tempted to Mm, go and see. Okay. Big robots. Ooh. Uh, Phantom Kitten said, I know somebody who'd gotten American Beauty and American Psycho mixed up, oh. and another person who mixed up It Comes at Night and The Night Comes for Us. Suffice to say, they had interesting experiences. Wow. Yes. <laughs> very Quite different movies. Very different. And finally, Isaac, our regular guest and social media guru, said... Good times, which it most definitely isn't, unless you enjoy anxiety.
1: Yeah, um,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. A very stressful film, that one. <laughs> it is, yeah. Adrenaline pumping stuff. Uh, Favourite witchy film, our new patron Miki said, The Craft, a thousand percent. Mm. Which yes. I think a lot of people from the 90s would agree with. Yeah. Ferris book does rule in that movie. I
1: mean, anyone that grew up as, as a teenager in the 90s, yeah, for sure. yeah.
0: Um on Strange Days use of first person camera work we asked for other examples and Trevor Timmis said any view from a Star Wars cockpit is always exciting usually short mm. but definitely sweet mm. which is true
1: yeah it's interesting especially trick.
0: Yeah, especially going into hyperspace in the Millennium Falcon. That was used to get me excited as a kid for some reason. I don't know why.
1: Oh, I love there it. I love it. The, when the, the lines yeah. of the stars. Oh, it's great. Yeah,
0: so exciting. Uh, Lewis said, uh, I remember that scene in Robocop where he remembers his old life. That is a very poignant mm, one. That's true. Yes, that's a good one. Yeah, that is a very good one. On Strange Days Generally, Steve said, great episode. I caught this one originally on VHS and it was one of the first I bought when DVDs hit in 1999. It can be a grim old watch in parts, but as you say, revolutionary techniques used and topics that are still relevant today.
1: Mm, mm. It is. I mean, when I first watched it, I knew it was a very, uh, very good film. But yes, again, like it's it's not something you want to watch over and over again. Uh, I, I felt the same for The Talented Mr Ripley. I know it's a great film, but I just felt very icky at the end of that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I just felt very sad for him, but then I probably identify with Tom just a little yeah. bit too much. Yeah. And, of course, our final word goes to Surge <laughs> of Cold Crash Pictures. Hello, Serge. He says, Strange Days is a well-crafted, fascinating techno-noir that deserves to be seen, but I will push back on anyone calling it a dystopia. Its politics are frustratingly naive, teasing systemic change, then falling back on just a few bad apples discourse mm. in an overwrought finale. I'm still sad it's so hard to track down, though. The world is so well established that I almost don't mind that the plot doesn't kick in for 56 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Which We don't, we talked about that, yes. yes. <laughs> we did. Yeah, it's a very good point about the politics. It does fall back on that, oh, it's just a few officers and... Um, The big, I think I mentioned it does have the old white guy will save the day. Whereas Mm. I think the reality is that it's institutionalized all the way to the very top. This kind of thing. Yeah,
1: I mean, I don't know. It's it's a movie. It it needs a you know a a finite sort of conclusion, not a we're all fucked and everyone's bad. (laughs) Let's just continue with the world, I guess. (laughs) Not very happy. Let's let's just. Dance
0: to skunk and dance, Yeah. But yes, as always, we love hearing from you. Please do get in touch through our socials or via email. Yes. Yes. Movie.oobliet at gmail.com.
1: Uh, Conrad, mm. so what will we be doing today? Oh,
0: well, I don't know. I think you ought to amble on over to that and find oh, it oh, yes.
1: All right. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, I'm in some sort of old... Old house, uh, maybe there's a secret passage in, in, on this bookshelf. Oh, there is. <laughs> Always funny is. that. Always. It's <laughs> <laughs> gonna go down to the basement. There's candles, swan statues. Oh, and there's the movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right, coming back. Ugh.
0: Just grab a tool
1: and start banging. I am back. You
0: didn't feel the urge to cackle evilly while you were down there? No. Uh, no. I, I'm
1: not, I, I don't think I'm the master of the dark, but, um. <laughs> uh. <laughs> So what do you have for us then? Dan? Well, today this is actually a patron's choice chosen by one mm. of our dear patrons, a wicked person. It was spun on the Oubliette Roulette and this one uh, came up on top. It's Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. Ooh. It's a 1988 horror comedy film directed by James Signorelli, uh, written by Sam Egan, John Paragon and Cassandra Peterson. It stars uh, Cassandra Peterson as the iconic Elvira, uh, Edie McClurg, Daniel Green, Susan Kellerman, Chris Cam, Ira Hayden, and Kurt Fuller. Mm -hmm. And what happens? Well, Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, a popular horror movie TV hostess, loses her job but is offered her dream job of playing Vegas with a catch. She needs to cough up 50 G's. Coincidentally, her great aunt passes away, leaving Elvira a substantial portion of her inheritance. She must now travel to wholesome, untainted Massachusetts to claim her riches, but will the townsfolk take kindly to her gothic one-liners, or will she be burnt at the stake? Also, (laughs) she has to face off with her demonic, fire-breathing uncle while falling in love Magic potion mishaps And swatting away horny teenage boys Sounds like a movie macabre kind of adventure
0: Oh yes, it does indeed
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well this is going to be fascinating, can't we? Yes, after the break Okay, we are back to talk about Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. As a non-American, I had no idea who Elvira was. Or oh, I, I had, a, I had a, a little bit of an idea. I, I know she was a hostess of this horror show where she would introduce horror movies. And I think I've seen her cameo or her show show up in horror movies, mm. but Yeah, not a clue about her sort of reputation or where she came from or anything about her as a persona. How about you, Conrad?
0: No, complete Elvira virgin here. And I'd go even further to say just the concept of a late night horror movie host just does not exist here in the UK. Yeah, same. So the format, who she is, what her shtick is, what her persona is, all of it, a complete mystery to me. So this is great in terms of a cultural experience. Mm. And I mean, I guess people in the US might think, why are you doing this movie? You know, everybody knows Elvira, but (laughs) outside of America, not at all. Mm. And it wasn't a success either. So it debuted at number seven in the US box office on the 30th of September 1988, behind Gorillas in the Mist*. Heartbreak Hotel, A Fish Called Wanda, Dead Ringers, Die Hard, and Crossing Delancey. And it yielded five and a half million dollars at the box office against a budget of seven and a half. Mm. So it was not a success. So it is an oubliant movie. And I was fascinated. I don't know about you.
1: Yeah, I was fascinated. I mean, the movie itself, I'm not sure. But her (laughs) as an icon and sort of the legacy that she sort of paved the way for is really, really fascinating. So even, yeah, the idea of a horror movie host. So she pops up at the start and introduces the movie. But her her the way that she is presented is not what I expected she's got kind of a valley girl accent yeah I really did expect her to have like a Eastern European accent and to be like you know it's whispering into the mic um, <laughs> that sort of thing but it wasn't like she's very sex positive for one thing like a lot of sex jokes but <laughs> not in a sort of demeaning way she really owns his sort of sexual appeal and yeah the Valley Girl accent I guess appealing to because this came out her show came out it was eighty three, like eighty four. 83, 84 yeah so her, her show Alvira's movie Macabre mm. and so I guess, yeah, appealing to the younger audience. You know, the kids don't want to see someone that, you know, represents old horror, fifties horror. They want to see something modernized. Even though all the movies she's presenting, they are all old horror, B grade, a lot of low budget stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I was surprised by I kind of had expectations, and she kind of broke all my expectations.
0: Yeah, she did. She's disarming. She's self-deprecating, funny valley girl. She's not stupid. Uh, She's whip-smart and Mm. funny, but also completely
1: aware of the effect that she has on men, particularly. Mm. So I did want to talk about like the Elvira character and, and sort of where it sort of stemmed from as well. So uh, there's a really good um, video essay on YouTube by History Tea Time with Lindsay Holliday. Oh. Um, and she compares three very iconic characters. We've got Morticia Adams, Vampira, mm. and Elvira. So Morticia Adams came first, but apparently she didn't even have a name. So it was it started off as a cartoon strip illustrated by Charles Adams. And then the actress Maela My, Nermi dressed up like Morticia Adams at a Halloween party and was seen by a, a studio executive or something and then gave her a show. So she became Vampira in the Vampirus show. Mm. Similar, but she's kind of got a mid-Atlantic accent. She's seductive, but kind of sarcastic at the same time but you know this is the 50s 1954 um, and her show only ran for like one year i think right because she got embroiled in some sort of scandal with um james dean when he died apparently the media claimed that she was a witch or she used black magic or something it was was just (laughs) ridiculous i mean her show vampire um was the first horror hostess Show So, I mean, I guess she got a lot of hate um, mm. supporting all these gruesome movies. <laughs> Apparently, she also slept with awesome Welles, Oh my. Which isn't really interesting. But yeah, her show got canned. Um, I think she cameos in an Edward movie, Plan 9 from Outer Space, yes. and <laughs> Vampira as well. Yeah, I've seen that. And then Adam's Family came out, the adaptation, TV adaptation, which clearly was influenced by Vampyra. Um, and then in the 80s, 1981, Maela Nermi was approached to revive her character by executives, but she wanted to be an executive producer, not to actually be Vampire again, but then creative differences. And then she left the project and they got Cassandra Peterson to be a new Vampire, uh, renamed Elvira mm. uh, in the movie Macabre. And then... Of course, Mayla Nurmi tried to sue them for stealing her character, which is very different. I, I would say it's very different. Like, I do feel like Elvira is a completely modernized version. Yeah. I mean, she kind of dresses the same, but not really. I mean, she's got the 80s, like, bracelets with the studs. She does look much mm. more punk rock and less Transylvania, like, Eastern European yeah. And then the Annan's family movies in the 90s were obviously, again, influenced by Elvira and Vampira, Yeah, And it's kind of moved on from there. I feel like a lot of Helena Bodham Carter's characters seem very <laughs> similar as well in, in all the Tim Burton movies. So I don't know, it's pretty amazing to see how it's evolved over time.
0: Yeah, I wonder how much of it is the root of goth girl as a phenomenon generally or Mm. it feels like it could be. It's certainly a very important strand of the development of that whole niche.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and for like in terms of female empowerment like all of these characters are very strong and they're not Mm. waiting for a man to save the day.
0: I mean in that respect some of the comedy is challenging retrospectively. I was talking to Melinda of Retroblasting the other day Mm -hmm. because she'd just seen it and she wasn't sure how she felt about this movie and I can understand why because Elvira is molested at least five times during this movie. I know, I know. She seems to move through a world that's inhabited by a lot of men that just assume because of the way she presents herself that she is instantly sexually available to anyone. Mm. And although she makes lewd jokes and occasionally says things like, you know, I never turned down a stranger for that matter, Mm -hmm. she's Mm -hmm. not actually presented as particularly promiscuous Mm. or sexually available. In fact, the whole movie is centred around this typical romantic arc of her falling in love with this really sweet, naive guy in this small town. On that she gets a crush on, mm-hmm. played by Daniel Green. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, she did describe in in the making of that sh- they were looking for the equivalent of a blonde bimbo as the male love yeah. interest and he really is he is very very innocent and naive he does not get any of her sex jokes at all no. <laughs> it just completely <laughs> flies over his head but yeah he is the equivalent of that he's just like a big, he looks like a pro wrestler he is huge but he doesn't act like a pro wrestler he, he just acts like a really innocent like small town cinema owner it's quite a sort of switch up in terms of gender roles i guess yeah he's a really
0: sweet guy and yeah she's the lady from the big city who's a little bit more street wise just wonderful moments like where she's making crude jokes at him and then stands up with her eyes closed and her lips pursed yeah and you just hear the car door clunk behind her as he as he drives off because he's just completely missed the cues that she wants him to kiss her it's yeah so on the one hand It's quite sweet and there is nothing explicit or lewd or crude that happens. I mean, the closest is probably the snake gag where the lights go off and she starts saying... Oh Bob Oh Oh,
1: Bob Yeah (laughs) And then uh, the lights come on And she's just fondling a snake I mean What did she think she was fondling Uh, (laughs) Basically a part of Bob But wow (laughs) I mean he's a big guy But even (laughs) Yeah I mean Oh uh, yeah That's yeah uh, Impressive i felt at odds in this movie like i do appreciate you know female empowerment like she's always in control she never mm. lets any man walk all over her she never gives in to any advances that she doesn't want but at the same time she kind of allows the behavior to happen and she kind of brushes it off like oh men you know yeah. But it's like that's appalling behaviour. Yeah. Men shouldn't be, you know, brushed off with this sort of stuff. They should be condemned and <laughs> like, arrested. So, it is like, I am at odds. But, again... This movie is mostly a comedy. Yes. And it's mostly a comedy that does not exist anymore. So it is very entrenched in that 80s, almost like slapstick comedy, for one. But also taking a really ridiculous character from a TV show or something that isn't a movie and then putting them amongst normal people, like... Quote normal people, so so I was thinking of other movies like Pee Wee Herman, yes. or like Wayne's World, like even like Austin Powers, um, like Ace Ventura, like these just l- completely ludicrous, larger than life characters put into like the normal world, yeah, and seeing what unfolds kind of thing. So I don't know, it's almost like on a different reality, yeah, uh, where her character is because everyone else they're just gobsmacked by her presence.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's nicely illustrated when she rolls up in the town right at the very beginning and you've got this wonderful montage of Girl Scouts selling cookies and old ladies sitting on a park bench knitting and then mm. in rolls Elvira in her black yeah, convertible, yeah. the macabre mobile or whatever whatever it's referred yeah, to that's as. that's right. And yes, with, with yes. rock music playing and everyone's shocked. I mean, you're right, there's also the tradition around this time. I think this is a bit of... a Precursor, I think it's an early example Mm -hmm. because you get you then get Edward Scissorhands in was it 90 or 91 and then the Adams Family movies in the early 90s, which are these sort of Mm. gothic characters being inserted into almost like a weird pastel 1950s suburbia.
1: Yeah, that's right, that's right. So there's
0: that going on, and it's interesting that you mentioned about Pee Wee because, of course, Cassandra Peterson. And Paul Rubens, mm-hmm. they both come from originally the same comedy troupe, the Groundlings. Yeah, as does Edie McClurg and many other cast members that are shoehorned into this movie, and John Paragon, I think, as well, who's one of the co-writers. Mm-hmm. So it sort of comes from this particular tradition as well. So yeah, so it's very much a phenomenon of its time that doesn't seem to happen now. You're right.
1: Yeah, I mean, the whole sort of tone of the movie felt very improvisational. It felt felt like I was watching just a whole bunch of one-liners, just one after the other. It felt like a stand-up show, but <laughs> in movie form. And yeah, I, I hadn't heard of the Groundlings. I had to look them up. So an improvisational and sketch comedy troupe and school based in LA formed in 1975. Um, and a lot A lot of renowned uh, comedy actors have come out of it. So apparently uh, Jennifer Coolidge, Will Ferrell, Will Fort, Kathy Griffin, uh, Lisa Kudrow, John Lovitz, Maya Rudolph, Jimmy Fallon, Daryl Hannah, Mariska Hagate, Conan O'Brien, Dax Shepard. So a lot of very funny people have come out of it uh, and had very successful careers Mm. that I just have no idea but it did feel like i was watching just a very extended snl sketch yes. which is kind of strange because her i kind of expected more references to the movies that she presents on her show. I I thought that we were going to get cameos. I mean, I did hear that Vincent Price, they did want him to be in this movie, but they couldn't get him for whatever reason. But I thought there was going to be more cameos from, you know, actors from all of these B-grade horror movies from the 40s, 50s, 60s, or like at least more horror, I guess, because it's it's like 90% of this movie is slapstick comedy.
0: Yeah, fish out of water comedy.
1: It's a mixed bag, isn't it? So when you get something like
0: the scene where she goes to this great aunt's house, she's got this recipe book that the uncle is after because it's actually a spell book and she cooks something from it and it Mm. turns into this hideous monster that launches out of the pot that she then has to fight. Yes, the crockpot monster. The (laughs) crockpot monster. You know, you get that and then you get the whole master of the dark and mistress of the dark face off between her and the uncle and magical battles at the end. Mm -hmm. And that kind of feels... I don't know, shoehorn. It, it's, it's sort of a shock because you're so used to the fish out of water comedy you've been seeing for about 30 or 40 minutes. Mm, yeah. But I mean, in terms of it being a comedy, I have to say, I mean, it passes the sixth laugh test, as they say. Mm. I mean, I was laughing a lot yeah. at this movie.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like, I think it's, it's definitely a comedy that feels quite dated now. Like, it mm. feels like, wow, comedies do not exist like this. Anymore, no, and have not for uh, more than 20 years, I think it's almost cringy one liners at times. Yes, but yeah, some of them (laughs) because they're so quick, you do get the laugh because they don't kind of ham it up, they don't bring it home and like you know, do the punchline over and over again, like Nelson Powers' (laughs) scene or something. So, they do have that. She is very quick. Uh, and the fact that no one seems to get her jokes at all, like at all, <laughs> um, which is kind of funny because as an audience, because you, it's almost like you, you're getting things that the other characters are not getting. Yeah. But yeah, it is definitely a comedy. It is.
0: Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think the thing that she has in her favor, some of the lines that Cassandra Peterson has to come out with, I mean, they're groan worthy, like Christmas cracker jokes that we have in the UK, mm. which are designed to make you groan because that unites people rather than... Than specific types of comedy which separates them. Mm. The thing is that she does so many that even though she only has like a 50% hit rate between groan and genuine <laughs> laughter that, that yeah. there's so many of them that she easily passes the six laugh test because there's just so much stuff going on, not just from her. Mm. You can tell that she genuinely wants everybody in this movie to be Hilarious! Yeah. It is like an ensemble yeah. piece. Yeah, yeah. They try to incorporate the format of her show. You mm, see her mm. doing her show at the beginning and getting fired from it. You see her kind of do a mystery science theatre thing where she's riffing against a live performance in the local theatre when she gets to the small town. That's right. The
1: movie is um, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes,
0: isn't it? It is, yeah. Attack of yeah. the Killer Tomatoes, which is mostly known <laughs> because the sequel to it from 1988 was one of the first roles for george clooney (laughs) wow i haven't seen either but
1: i do want to watch them yes (laughs) no
0: i also noticed that when she's doing her show at the beginning she's doing it for a movie called it conquered the world which is a corman movie featuring peter graves lee van cleef and Joe Dante, favourite Dick Miller, uh-huh. is in there as right, well right, in the right. clip that you see. And she mentions that next week it's going to be The Thing with Two Heads. I know. I Yeah. <laughs> which made me giggle, which is our episode 109 with Tom Woodruff Jr. Still yes. can't believe we got to talk to Tom Woodruff Jr. I know. It's amazing. So, yeah, you get some of it, but you don't get a lot of it.
1: And like, yeah, you're right. I kind of wanted more. Yeah, I, I think I just, yeah, I just wanted more horror, I guess. I wanted more. There was a little bit. There's one scene that when she's traveling to the town where she picks up a hitchhiker and he ends up being a werewolf or something, and she kicks him out. Or-
0: yeah, I think he's supposed to be Manson. Oh, right. He's another okay. groundling, but he's supposed yeah. to be Charles Manson, but she just sends him packing without his shirt on. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what happens to him. Yeah,
1: but- <laughs> more more monsters, more rubber suits. I kind of wanted that, or more sort of tributes or references to B-grade horror I mm. guess we're so used to such meta narrative now in, in comedies and horror now but I guess it didn't really exist back then No maybe not mm. There's a few things I wasn't sure about with this movie. So the message, like sort of moral of the story at the end. It is about uniqueness, right? It's about being yourself. If you're weird or disenfranchised in some respect, owning that and and being proud of that, like what she is as Elvira. But I feel like none of the characters did that like they weren't really that unique or different i guess what that girl was a little bit yeah she wanted to wear makeup and and do her hair
0: yeah robin wanted to express herself with her own personal image which she finally got to do when she went to the theater show yeah but you're right there's not a huge amount of it i mean the teenage element is something that was foisted upon them Mm. by the studio NBC, who said that unless you have teenagers in the movie No teenagers will watch the movie. Yeah. Which makes no sense at all, as Cassandra Peterson points out in the making of. Yeah, yeah. So they shoehorned these three kids in, one of whom is Ira Hyden, who I mostly know as Will, the wizard master from Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Mm -hmm. So it's nice Mm -hmm. to see him in another movie. Yeah, they have this whole thing where she's basically this brazen character that just dresses how she wants and is very Mm. sex positive and outgoing and gothic and edgy. Mm. And she shows up in this ultra- conservative town where everybody is horrified and the, the kids are sort of trapped in the 1950s like at one point robin yeah. says something like oh yes it is getting awfully late and i thought what kid said this in 1988 you're <laughs> joking but it's yeah. the kids in this conservative town fall in love with alvira initially the boys are just hanging on a window trying to get a glimpse of her undressing but eventually they mm. genuinely like her and befriend her which i feel is what happened with her fan base watching her show, that initially it's just titillation, but eventually everybody warmed to her and felt very dedicated to her. Yes, yes. There is something there about self-expression and being yourself. And if you are disenfranchised and feel like the odd one out there, you shouldn't have to worry about it. I think she was supposed to deliver a speech at the end about friendship and sticking together. Mm. There's this whole thing where the kids are threatened that if they associate with her and or go to her show, that they'll be expelled. And they all realise that if they all go, there's no way they can expel all of them. So there's something about unity and mm. protest yeah. in there. And the town also realises that even though she looks a particular way, that doesn't necessarily mean that she's bad. And actually the guy that was in the town the whole time was worse so they apologize to her but i'm not quite sure how they come to that realization i don't know they try to burn her at the stake i don't think they witnessed the showdown between her and uncle Vinny, so i don't understand how they yeah how they have this change of heart at all i don't i don't
1: know it's bizarre.
0: Yeah. So there's two things that are leveled at the movie. One is the characters aren't developed, which is Cassandra Peterson says, well, that's just because there's too many. They gave us too many. They forced us to have mm. these kids and we couldn't do anything with them in the time available. And the other thing, as you point out, yeah, I don't know what the message is. It sort of hints towards several that are great. Yeah. But it's not really clear. They don't quite clinch it.
1: Yeah. I don't know why the townspeople uh, rally with her at the end. It doesn't make any sense. Like, if anything, the only thing that the Vinny character, Uncle Vinny, does that is bad, that the townspeople see, is he turns three people into pigs. And that's it. Hmm. Um, So I guess those three people just told everyone else, like, oh, this guy? Not good. But Elvira? Good. But I don't know. It it just seems very strange, because everyone's kind of running around, because it's raining? or something in that sort of climactic scene, i'm not I'm not sure. So if it was sort of more clear, you would see characters that wanted to be different throughout the movie. and then at the end they turn up like or punk rock or something. Yeah. or like a man dressing up as a woman or something like that, something much more clear, but no one really changes at all. Everyone's just the same except they accept Elvira. Yeah, and that's it that is it
0: elvira as a figure has always been a champion of and for the lgbtq community yes so the film is dedicated to robert redding who was cassandra peterson's friend and helped her come up with the image the the wig and the Mm -hmm. the dress the whole look of elvira who unfortunately passed away before filming started or during production i believe so Mm. it's very sad and he was i believe a gay man and Elvira as a figure is the classic other and it's the reason why people in marginalised minorities gravitate towards horror because so much it's about the outsider and the things that are being othered. Mm, So mm. Elvira as a fictional character has always had those sorts of associations and of course recently Cassandra Peterson has revealed that she's a member of the LGBTQ community herself, Mm. that she's been in a relationship with a woman for 20 years now. So there's that sort of hanging around the fringes of it. Mm. And this general sense of sex positivity and being yourself and being true to people and not making assumptions about people, maybe. There's just sort of a general air of it, but it's
1: not terribly specific. Do you think it was purely the time? You know, you couldn't be outwardly gay in Mm. 1988? I don't know. It could have been the time when it came out. I did want to ask, like, so Robert Redding, um, her friend and um, co-creator of the Elvira character, was that a reference to the Bob character? His name is Bob Redding. Yeah, um, it is. It's a
0: tribute to him, the name Bob Redding. Yeah. Ah, right. And the film is, as I say, dedicated to him
1: at the end as well. Yeah. Going back to her appearance, like, I, I feel like, wow, she must have been quite influential in terms of, like, the drag community and and trans culture like the way she dresses just feels very drag yeah uh, her makeup is like over the top crazy like a huge um, fake eyelashes and eye makeup and her hair is massive and her dress is just <laughs> over the top so yeah must have been very influential for um, the
0: drag community I'm sure, yeah. I mean, it's such a camp look. I mean, I had this whole conversation with some of my female friends after watching it, just sending GIFs of her in this outfit, jumping up and down, saying, I'm sorry, my complete ignorance, how does the whole bra situation work here? Because (laughs) her boobs seem to defy gravity, Mm. but because there's this split in her dress and you can see all the way down to her navel almost, there's nothing visible there that sort of... Holding and yeah, so my friend sort of gently showed me straps and sticky things and uh-huh. yes. there's all this sort of armory that can go on under there to make that happen, but I can't imagine it's particularly comfortable. Mm. But it looks amazing, has to be said. It was quite mesmerizing at points, especially when she does her big Las Vegas act at the end of the film, for which she oh, had well, to the tassels. <laughs> the tassels, yeah. Which of course Cassandra Peterson learned as a vegas dancer herself that's how she started out and she had this amazing night with elvis where he told her to Mm, mm. get out of vegas and pursue something else before she gets stuck yeah it's an amazing story an amazing woman with an incredible life that she's led yeah and it's culminated in this tassel spinning skill that's really quite mesmerizing to watch at the end of the movie it is
1: (laughs) (laughs) now it's time for random trivia
0: so, Dan, what fascinating piece of trivia did you find in your great aunt's cookbook today?
1: Ah, well, and there is a scene in this movie where she, she replicates the flash dance scene. I'm not entirely sure why, but she does. <laughs> no. And there's supposed to be water is supposed to fall on her in this in this very sort of seductive pose that she pulls. Um, but the evil Patty character um, replaces the water with tar, uh, and, also, uh, and so tar falls on uh, Elvira but um, that tar is actually tempera paint it's a kind of washable paint often used uh, I think in, for kids or face paint that sort of thing um, oh, okay. but yeah the sheer force of the paint falling on Elvira she she felt like her neck was going to break <laughs> like it was like being punched Ow. in the face <laughs> <laughs> is, oh no which is yeah horrifying to to hear um that she didn't sustain any more sort of serious injuries.
0: Yeah, I know. I had a little piece of trivia as well. Yes, yes. One of the three teenagers, of course, is played by Chris Cam, and he said during his audition, there was a whole other group of kids in there, and one of them was drop-dead gorgeous, and he said, I have no chance of getting this role if they want a handsome guy, because this kid is just pant-wettingly handsome. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There's no way I'm getting it. But that guy did not get the role because Cassandra Peterson said, if he's in the movie, it will make no sense that Elvira is going after Bob Uh because this kid is just stunning. Yeah. So she said no and said, go with Chris Cam and she regrets it because if she'd said yes to this guy then she would have had the first movie to star Brad Pitt Wow <laughs> Yes <laughs> oh my god Brad Pitt Wow But he was too handsome He lost the role because he was too handsome Yeah,
1: well, I can imagine that Yeah
0: And that's our trivia Yeah <laughs>
1: Going back to sort of what she sort of personifies in, in terms of her character being very resilient, mm-hmm. someone that's, yeah, an outsider that is embracing who she is. I think it does stem back to when she was a baby, she actually had a terrible accident with a pot of boiling water where she was only 18 months old and something happened. She spilled all this boiling water all over her. Oh, wow. And so when her mum was taking her to the ER, like like skin was just, peeling off her uh, everywhere her mum was holding her and she had I think it was um, 35% of her body had third degree burns um, and she had to undergo like a, a new penicillin treatment and skin grafts and so yeah growing up with like all these scars and stuff like that, and and having to cover up, and then and then becoming someone that shows a lot of skin. Yes, um, <laughs> it's it's pretty amazing, like uh, how she sort of overcome all of this adversity and sort of hardship to Mm. become very, very confident and very, very proud of who she is.
0: Yeah. And she just feels like a great person to be around. She doesn't take any nonsense, but she's kind Mm. and just accepts everybody for who they are and encourages them. And, yeah, she can take care of herself. I mean, all these times where she's attacked by men, Mm. she gets rid of them. I mean, she always sends them packing. Sometimes she needs help, like Bob has to intervene in the bowling alley when two men are i mean goodness only knows what they were going to do it's not going to end well and bob has to intervene but she kicks one of them herself and she sends the real estate agent packing out of the door when he lunges for her so she can take care of herself but you feel like she shouldn't really have to this much but that's (laughs) yeah (laughs) i mean uh, when you talk
1: about it again like with the whole female empowerment like she doesn't need saving at the end no like if anything bob is completely useless like he gets his ass like handed to him by Vinny, Mm. um, and she yeah she saves the day herself she does. And heads off into the
0: sunset for her big show in Vegas, yeah. which leads us nicely into the music. Mm. So the music in this movie is composed by James B. Campbell. <laughs> and most of his professional credits are as an orchestrator, primarily on Alan Silvestri scores. So he worked on things like Romancing the Stone and Back to the Future. Right. They wanted Danny Elfman to do the score. He'd worked on the other groundling success story, Pee Wee Herman. he worked on his Films, right. but Danny Elfman said, You couldn't afford me <laughs> at right. this point. Okay. So, yeah, they ended up with an orchestrator who was trying to become a composer in his own right. He doesn't have that many other credits. It's exactly that stuff that I always talk about hating. It's uh, late 80s, early 90s digital sampling synthesizers trying to sound like acoustic instruments. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have things like the synth panpipe rendition of Morning from Pierre Gint when Elvira wakes up in the morning. And most of the time it's just sort of, you know, pads and organs and stings and so on. So I don't find the score particularly interesting. And then the soundtrack itself is filled with lots of songs, but because they couldn't afford (laughs) the original songs, they are all cover versions. Got a cheesy cover of Shout. Mm -hmm. And a cheesy cover of Town Without Pity. I mean, even Cassandra says in this commentary track that she thinks that those choices are just a bit too on the nose Mm. and not really in keeping with the kind of rock chick vibe that she was trying to create. Yeah. But then for those numbers, there's the opening theme track, and you've got the song she sings in Vegas at the end, which includes a rap section. Yeah. (laughs) Which is. I mean, it's all very of late 80s, early mm-hmm. 90s. It's pretty awful, yeah. <laughs> I have to say. I, to say. I yeah. sort of thought it was all... I mean, I enjoyed it, but I mean, it's pretty terrible.
1: Yeah, it did feel very TV movie to me, like very low budget. Yeah. Everything you would expect. If it was quirky, comedic, you heard some kind of lucky and quirky if it was scary you would have some pads like i don't know it wasn't anything i wasn't expecting it wasn't anything hugely memorable and yes I, i feel like on the cheap
0: yes Very much so, (laughs)
1: which is something Elvira isn't, that's for sure. No, 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 no. (laughs) I did, I I mean, talking, That's a bit of a tangent, but I did hear that the hair that she has, her her sort of uh, bouffant hair, a lot of people describe it as a beehive. She has come out and said that it's not a beehive. She calls it a knowledge bump hairstyle. I don't know. That's a very (laughs) popular name for it. But it was inspired by Ronnie Spector of the singing group The Ronettes. Oh. So that sort of hairstyle. And again, very different to Vampyra and uh, Morticia Adams.
0: Yeah, yeah. Very different and quite fitting, considering the Ronettes, for the sort of uh, vibe that they're creating with the town. It does feel like it's the 50s or the 60s in that town. Yeah. Like it's
1: frozen in amber. Yeah, 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 exactly. (laughs) Uh, Another thing I heard um, was that initially Cassandra Peterson didn't want to go for this very Morticia Adams look. Mm. Uh, Her original idea was to go for a look that Sharon Tate had in the film The Fearless Vampire Killers. Oh. So keeping with her red wavy hair, because Cassandra Peterson has red hair, not black hair. Yes. Um, so keeping with the long red wavy hair, and instead of black, wearing white. Oh. So I guess going for that sort of purity look, and then putting on um, sort of dead girl makeup. Right. Um, so like sort of black rings around the eyes, that sort of thing, pale, very pale. So yeah, very different vibe. Um, which I, I would have been, yeah, it would have been interesting to see. Yeah, it is fun
0: to see her playing, is it her mother or her aunt in the flashback?
1: Oh, That's right. actually
0: Cassandra Peterson <laughs> with her native red hair colour yeah, right. in the flashback. Ah, I didn't realise. And in the portrait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Coming to you live from the Movie Oubliette Theatre, it's the prestigious Moobli Award.
1: Hey, it's the Movie Awards. It's where we present our favourite sex innuendo valley girl parts of the film in a number of fire-breathing categories. Best quote.
0: Probably the the most famous quote is her big speech, Um, which (laughs) I don't know whether that might be what you were going to say. Her big speech is, but if they ever ask about me, tell them I was more than a great pair of boobs. I was also an incredible pair of legs. (laughs) And tell, him, tell him that I never turned down a friend. I never turned down a stranger, for that matter. And tell him, tell him that when all is said and done, I only want people to remember me by two simple words. Any two, as long as they're simple. <laughs> <laughs> Which, it's a wonderful quote, and apparently Cassandra Peterson had to do it on her first day. So she was terrified, mm. but she does a great job yeah. of it. So well done to her. Um, but my actual favourite quote is one that she says right at the beginning when she gets fired because the new station owner, you know, he wants her to sleep with him and she doesn't, and she says, "I'll never work for that sleaze ball again. I'll just have to find myself a new sleaze ball." <laughs> <laughs> so it's just this this admission that Hollywood is just full of of sleaze balls. <laughs> she draws the line at one guy once he sort of sexually Mm, assaults her yeah but she's aware of the reality that she's just gonna have to pick another one and hope that that works out better yeah which is pretty damning but actually quite satirical so it made me Mm, roar. i thought that mm, was hilarious mm, mm, mm. best hair or
1: costume is it gonna be Elvira? i mean she's she's just you know she's a standout she's a standout i mean i i would pick one scene in particular it's when she's sleeping um, and she's in oh, like that sort of black, yeah. it's a black lace corset, like sort of negligee, and then she, her hair yeah. is out, like it's almost like a, like a a sea of, of vines or like a medusa snake here it, it looks amazing it does yeah that's a
0: and it's standout shot that i'm sure has been peddled around the internet loads of times mm. to represent this film apparently she's laying that's not just one wig she's like laying on 50 wigs yeah something. it kind of looks that way <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but it looks amazing mm. it's been beautifully designed that mm. shot it's great as a second guess I would say Robin transforming so (laughs) I just love that after being chastened by her grandparents I think they are for wearing a dab of makeup on her face when she finally gets to unleash herself uh, with Elvira's influence Mm -hmm. she transforms and she just has this mass of permed hair cascading down one side of her face Mm It's so 80s and then these bangs for a fringe and a, a purple sweater with a lacy doily collar mm. and frilly ankle socks with blue bows on them yeah so it's kind of this mix of 80s cindy lauper explosion and like cute 50s because she's not quite got the you know the access to the clothes that mm-hmm. she needs or it's a sort of mix of the two. Anyway, she looks hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> most 80s it. I was going to say turning a slim premise into a movie <laughs> because this, this only seemed to happen around this time. Late 80s, early 90s. I think she's groundbreaking but uh-huh. I was looking at all the things where a TV show was turned into a movie around this period and most of the time it's taking a beloved 50s or 60s TV show and turning it into a, a, a modern movie to get the the adults' nostalgia and the kids seeing hmm. something reinvented in a different way. So, you know, The Adams Family and The Fugitive, the Beverly Hills Billies, the Brady Bunch movie, loads of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But this whole thing of taking an, an SNL sketch like Wayne's World or The Cone Heads. Or kids in the hall taking a sketch comedy and turning it into a narrative film. Mystery Science Theatre was turned into a movie, although it was basically just another episode. Mm -hmm. But this idea of taking a tiny sort of slim premise and then beefing it out into a whole movie with a narrative Mm. and a backstory just seems to be very much of this time and specifically only this time. I I can't think of a corresponding trend now.
1: Yeah, definitely feel like the 80s and 90s, 100%. Uh, Well, I mean, my 80s nomination for this movie uh, would be, uh, you mentioned it, the rap at the end uh, because everyone and their dog was inserting raps (laughs) to music. (laughs) (laughs) And they really shouldn't have. (laughs) Favourite scene. I'll have to go with what I wanted this movie to be more of, which is obviously the last act the third act with the uh, I mean the witch burning I feel I felt like that escalated very quickly like it went from just being annoyed at this person to let's burn her at the stake I mean I'm not sure how that correlates but anyway I did like it I mean after the witch burning with with Vinny going full demon and breathing fire and doing all sorts of things i didn't know you could do uh yeah i wanted more of that i mean it was really cheesy and ridiculous with a sort of disney-esque animation going on like um but i i don't know i loved it it was b-grade and ludicrous and yeah hand severing <laughs> That's good.
0: Yeah, definitely wanted more of the magic and the silly monsters My personal favourite is the crockpot monster scene uh-huh. There's a section in the middle where it it looks like it'll turn into a goofy practical magical style adventure with weird monsters and it, instead it's it just reverts back to the fish out of water drama slash comedy mm. again But I loved the crockpot monster scene. I thought it was really fun and inventive and genuinely surprising yeah most cliche moment uh well we've talked about it before the orphaned child is the magical chosen one <laughs> <laughs> you're a witch elvira yeah but uh, i mean kudos to putting <laughs> putting
1: makeup on that baby yeah oh yes i know i mean ridiculous yes
0: I just roared with laughter at that just because just because of the stunned look on the baby's face but yes it's um it's definitely a cliche that the orphan child that doesn't know much about their parents finds out this whole backstory and they end up being the chosen one mm-hmm. with witches and powers beyond their wildest dreams yeah it's more of a fantasy cliche than horror I yeah guess. yeah
1: yeah that's true that's true um uh cliche for me i mean i guess the hidden bookshelf with the demonic basement <laughs> with candles and altar and all sorts of things going on um but also like this is more of a i, I guess a comedy cliche when she does the makeover on the dog and it's like, oh, it's going to be punky, isn't it? <laughs> and sure enough, a punky dog with a pink mohawk and studs and all sorts of things going on. Best special effect. Yep, it's the crock monster. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah. It's got arms, it's got a, a mouth, it, it looks like it's made out of vegetables or something yeah it's such a great effect uh done by steve laporte laporta Mm. and apparently he did all the effects and he had like pretty much free reign to do whatever he wanted which is amazing (laughs) yeah there are some details in there i really love one of them is the
0: articulated arms Mm. that the monster has and how they managed to get shots where like when they first push the lid back on it its arms seem to reflexively switch around to trying to grab the lid to push it off again. Yeah, and yeah, you think, yeah. wow, that must have been really hard to coordinate, mm. but it works perfectly. And then when they, they go to tip it into the sink, it seems to go on forever when they're pouring it out. Yeah. Like this whole long thing comes out of this pot that's like, yeah, you know, it's like a, eight inches tall. It's like a Mary like, Poppins <laughs> trick. <laughs> Favourite sound effect. My favourite sound effect comes from the moment in the film when Elvira washes the windscreen of her convertible car and ends up rhythmically pushing her ample breasts (laughs) up against the glass and there is this wonderful squeaking noise that is obviously her wiping the window Mm, mm. but just mentally you sort of transfer it to her breast sort of straining yeah. against the, the yeah. window and just I was killing myself laughing. <laughs> most funniest funniest moment i've mentioned it already the thing that made me laugh the loudest and the most was just suddenly cutting to uh, a baby with elvira (laughs)
1: makeup on yeah the funniest for me uh, i think it's i mean it's such a cliche scene and and it's it's in a lot of movies but the the sex potion scene uh, that she, the casserole that she delivers to the Fallwell Morality Club annual picnic, um, and they all eat the food, and then there's the potion that's in it that makes everyone just a little bit randy, I guess. Um, and yeah. most of the people, yeah, a bit elderly, um, so it just makes it even funnier. But I mean, it, it is such a cliche scene. You, you see it in a lot of movies. It's, it's normally the the drug. That's been spiked in the food or the, or the drink or whatever. But um, yeah, in this case, it's a it's a magical potion. Uh, I do like it though because Edith McClurg is such a hateable character in this movie. Yes. she's so by the book. She's so untainted. Uh, and then when she takes the mm. potion, it's all it, everything uh, is on the table. And uh, oh yeah, in that scene where she says. <laughs> to the guy there's a guy laying on the ground and she says uh, excuse me is this seat taken and proceeds to lift up her dress and sit on the guy and i was not <laughs> expecting that so yeah roaring of laughter <laughs> okay and that's our mooblies yes hi i'm zoe wells from Film Joy, and you're listening to movie oubliette Okay, it's final verdict time. Should 1988's Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, be freed from the Oubliette and given its own show in Vegas and be (laughs) be praised by all? Or should it be burnt at the stake and uh, (laughs) shuffled back into the Oubliette to be lost forever? Conrad, it's the first watch for both of us. Uh, What's your final take on this?
0: Yeah, it's an odd one, isn't it? Because... We've talked about the various problems with it. I think it's overlong, the director talks about that, that he thinks that there's probably a really funny 80-minute movie in this Mm, 95-minute movie. Yeah. It kind of flags in the middle, it's uneven, so you get this fish-out-of-water comedy and then all of a sudden it turns into this fantastical monster movie with this evil villain and magic Mm. and so on. Thematically, it's not really clear what the theme is, although you generally get the sense it's about independence and personal expression and freedom and a rejection of sort of um, conservative repression. But at the same time, it's not really spelled out or consistent in terms of character development it doesn't really work as Elvira herself. Cassandra has pointed out because there's too many characters. yeah yeah. but it's well shot and it's hilariously funny. I was never bored. I never turned against it. I never hated it. and mainly that's down to Cassandra Peterson and the persona of Elvira, who I'd never experienced before, but in terms of a showcase for her and for breathing life and putting flesh on this this character, I think it's wonderful and and quite a nice thing to discover because as we've said during the Mooblies, it's sort of it's a type of comedy that just it doesn't exist anymore. Mm. So to find one that's as well executed as this and as well meaning and as joyful as this from 1988 that you haven't seen and have no experience of was really quite a joy for me so I would say I mean it's not a great piece of filmmaking but I would say yes I would would say yeah go for it watch it if you fancy a ridiculous wacky sex positive comedy with a strong female central character that'll have
1: you rolling on the floor laughing (laughs) go for it this is your movie (laughs) Mm, all right all right I don't know whether I enjoyed the comedy in this movie. I think it, it is ah. very much before my time. It is, a yeah, like you said, a, a comedy that does not exist anymore. I kind of found a lot of the jokes fell flat or were like, oh, no, really? Like, <laughs> poor girl kind of thing. But knowing that she wrote it um, and I... I think the legacy of Elvira as an icon as an idol for many people uh, of LGBT community or or anyone that's just feeling like they are the outsider like an outcast this is a really really inspiring movie I don't think I'm the the right demographic for this film I I think a lot of people will really love this movie I'm not sure whether I did but i don't think i could possibly put this back into the i think it is too important for so many people and more people to come as well um it's Mm. fascinating looking back on sort of the progression of this type of character from morticia adams to vampira to elvira um, and beyond Mm. And she seems to be the most successful out of the three as well. Um, although there's a new Winston Adams uh, show that's come out, but she's <laughs> she's got a lot of stuff to to watch. Um, and I I'd would, I would be keen to check out her other movie, um, Elvira's Haunted Hills, I think it's called. Um,
0: yeah. I don't know whether
1: it's any good, but I'm interested. And yeah, I think I think this this film, despite me not really enjoying it. I, I think I'd enjoyed it the second time round, But, yeah, it's too important to uh, to leave in the <laughs> darkness of the oubliette. I think it, it should see the light.
0: Okay. Well, that's good. Well, let's uh, <laughs> just pack it into this convertible and give it a little push. Ah,
1: there you go. Ah, here's to my big opening. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, thank you again, Wicked Person, uh, our patron that, chose this movie Mm. uh i can't wait for the next patron's choice where we discover something we've never seen before but if you want to follow us and keep up with our future episodes you can uh find us on all the social media platforms as movie oubliette
0: And you can email us at movie.oubliette at gmail.com. And if, like Wicked Person, you would like to suggest movies for us to cover in future episodes and vote on them and get access to extended portions of the show, then go on over to Patreon, where for as little as a dollar you can do such a thing. And for $5, you can get access to exclusive monthly minisodes and extended interviews with our very special guests.
1: Yes, and merchandise we do have it on Redbubble. Uh, you know, all the, all the things, all the things. <laughs> uh, and if you haven't already, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wh- wherever you are consuming us. Yes. It does help us out a lot. And share us around as well. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. <laughs> so, Conrad,
0: what are we going to do next episode? Well, next time we're stepping forward into your favourite decade, the 90s. But we are going to be south of the border because we'll be looking at the 1993 Mexican independent
1: horror drama film, Kronos. Ooh, this has been on my watch list for the longest time. I think this was maybe the first movie I put on our list of things, uh, movies to cover in future episodes. From the very beginning. Yeah, we're looking forward to this. Is it Guillermo del Toro's first movie as well?
0: It's Yeah, it's Guillermo del Toro's first movie. Um, it's not often talked about. Obviously, fans of Guillermo del Toro will know of it. Other people will probably have just picked up on his American films later on. Mm. So... Yeah, so it'll be interesting to go back and look at it. It had a budget of $2 million and only yielded 621000 at the box office. So it was not a big hit when it first came out. But it is a fascinating film to look at. And Ron Perlman is in it. so ah, Of course. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Pre-Hellboy. You've got to have Ron Perlman in there. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And this one was suggested by our guest...
1: Who will be joining us? Yes. A friend of the pod. Yes, yes. Can't wait for that. <laughs> Can't wait for that giggles. Yes.
0: Okay. Until next time. Yes. Unpleasant dreams. Unpleasant
1: dreams. dreams.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. We review the films tend to forget. Come with us and up the movie. Oh, melody. I see you made your face.